in the final part of our series, Teach Us to Pray. And as part of the series, we've just been looking at the importance of prayer in general and some practical things that we can do in our prayer life as well. And so as part of this, I thought it would be great to look at the book of Job and in particular how Job himself prayed. And I think that shows us a really powerful example of what it looks like to bring your prayers to God in the midst of severe pain and suffering. And through his prayer, I think we find the answer to one of life's big questions. Is it possible to be content in life despite your circumstances? Right? And I think that's a really relevant question to ask in today's world because I'd argue that most people would say it's only possible to be content, content rather, if everything is going your way. Right? People are content when they earn lots of money, when they feel good about how they look, when they're in the, the prime of their health, maybe when they have a title or a status that they've earned, or just if they're perceived by other people to be successful. Those are, I think, the things that people look for to find their satisfaction and their contentment in. And while those things in and of themselves, they aren't inherently wrong, they do invite the question, what happens when those things are taken away from us? You know, if that's where our contentment comes from, if that's where our sense of peace and satisfaction comes from, what happens when we're faced with hardship or loss? What happens when the loss of those things leads to pain and suffering? One of my colleagues a number of years ago, he had to retire due to health issues and he'd been at my work for over 30 years and he was a much loved person by everyone at work. And so as you'd imagine, when he left, there was this big farewell for him. There would have been at least, I reckon there were 200 people there at the farewell. It was so big that they had to hold it outside. And as part of this farewell, he gave actually a very moving speech about his life, about his career, all the ups and downs, all the joys and the heartbreaks he'd experienced. And he had everyone's undivided attention. And at the end of his speech, he said this. He said, don't lose your health, because if you do, you've got nothing. He was really blunt. He thought, if you haven't got your health, your life isn't worth living. So he said, don't, he said, don't lose your health, because if you do, you've got nothing. And I'll never forget the reaction. It was just stunned silence. There's 200 people who were, I think, in, in this you know, joyful send-off kind of attitude, were all of a sudden like stuck in this awkward time of self-reflection, and um, I'll never, I'll just never forget that reaction. But really, I think he was just being honest with how, how he felt. You know, this situation, it wasn't what he wanted. He was actually taking away from something that he wanted to keep pursuing. And of course, your health is important. This was a good chance to remind people that your health is important. It's something you should take care of. But to say that it's, that you've got nothing if you lose it, I think that's something else altogether. You know, essentially what he was saying was he didn't think it was possible to be content if you've lost something that significant. And that really got me thinking, would I be content if I'd lost my health? Would I be content if I lost any number of things that I think are really significant in my life? And that is a hard question to answer, but it's one that I think the book of Job answers really well. And I wanted to take a moment this morning just to show you how the book of Job introduces that question to us and how Job responds to that question. So 
in the opening verses of this book, we are introduced to a man called Job. Right? He's described as being a man of complete integrity. He's totally devoted to God. He hates evil with a passion. But not only that, he's wealthy, he's prosperous, he has a large family who he loves very much, and he's in good health. He's pretty much got everything you could hope for in life. And then we're transported to the scene in heaven where God is addressing these angelic creatures. And one of them, called Satan, steps forward to question how God is running things. And this is what it says in Job chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And I'm reading these in the NLT translation as well, if you're wondering. So God here, he's pointing out Job's qualities. Among these is the fact that he fears God. And I think a key part of understanding how Job is described here is understanding the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is this healthy respect for God's definition of good and evil. It's learning what those boundaries are and then not crossing them. You might hear some other Christian commentators talk about this as being in awe of God, of having this deep honour and respect for who God is. And it's all of those things, really. But the Bible often links the fear of the Lord, this desire to do things God's way, with being content. So, for example, Proverbs 19.23 says this, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. So the person who fears the Lord, that person rests content. So essentially God is saying here, look at Job. You know, he's a really good guy. He does everything I tell him to do, and he's content in life. But then Satan replies with this. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything that he does. Look how rich he is, but reach out and take away everything he has, and surely he will curse you to your face. So when Satan says Job has good reason to fear God, he's suggesting that Job is only a good person because God rewards him. He's saying it's the health, it's the prosperity. He doesn't love you for who you are. He loves what he's getting from you. And if that's the case, then his contentment comes from those good things too. It doesn't come from God. And so Satan, he's, he's challenging this idea that the fear of the Lord leads to contentment. He's arguing that the contentment comes from the good things that God gives people. Now he's saying it's conditional on their circumstances. And if that's the case, then people don't really love God for himself. They love what they're getting from him. And that's why Satan then says, reach out and take everything he has because he is so sure that if God takes away the good things that Job has, he won't love God anymore. Instead, he'll curse him to his face. All right, and so the question that the book of Job poses to us is, is it possible to be content in life despite your circumstances? Does your contentment come from trusting in God, or does it come from the good things that you have in your life? And so in order to test this idea... God agrees to Satan's proposal, or at least that's how the idea is communicated to us in the book of Job. When you first read this, you might be horrified to think that God would 
agree to anything that Satan would suggest. But it's here that's worth mentioning that, that Job is a wisdom literature book. You wouldn't expect to read this the same way you would a, a historical narrative or a book of the law. It's a different type of literature, a different type of Hebrew literature. But what the book of Job is designed to do is make us ask those questions about God's character, about his goodness and his justice. And in those verses in Job 1, they're, they're really designed to tell a story that dramatically poses that question, is it possible to be content in life despite your circumstances? And so what follows is that Job loses everything and everyone that he cares about. His children and servants killed by marauders, his livestock uh, struck by lightning, raiders steal his camels, a tornado destroys his house. It is devastating, All right? Especially because Job doesn't deserve any of this. But what's amazing about this first part of the story is that despite all of those horrible things happening, Job's first response is still to praise God. In Job 1, 21, it says this, The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken away. Praise the name of the Lord. Job is putting into practice here one of those principles of prayer that we talked about earlier on in the series, which is begin with praise. Begin with praise because it has the power to put your problems into perspective, because it can help bring you joy even in the midst of hardship. But then Job loses the one thing he has left, his health. What happens next is that Job develops this painful skin disease all over his body, and that's the last straw. Job can't bring himself to praise God anymore. Instead, he decides to let us know how he's really feeling inside. In, in chapter 3, Job lets loose with this long, elaborate curse on the day that he was born. And it's a, a Hebrew poem that Job uses to describe just how devastated he's feeling inside. And I'll read you an example. It's from Job 3, 20 to 21. Why give light to those in misery and life to those who are bitter? They long for death and it won't come. They search for death more eagerly than for hidden treasure. It's pretty heavy stuff. Job is so devastated by everything that he's going through, all the, the physical and the emotional pain, that he actually wishes he was dead. And so from here, Job cries out to God in this agonised prayer, in these prayers of lament. And what I want to show you is just one example of that. It comes from Job chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 1 to 3 because I think this summarises really well how Job comes to God in the midst of his pain and suffering. And he does, I think, three key things. The first is that he uses this prayer to process his emotions. In verse 1 it says, I am disgusted with my life. A huge part of the book of Job is just Job himself being really honest with how he feels. And I think that's important. Throughout his prayers, Job details at length what he's going through. You know, he feels like his, his life has gone by too quickly. He feels like the pain that he's going through will literally make him die. He's lost all sense of satisfaction, all sense of contentment. And what I see Job doing here is processing his emotion. 
Right? He doesn't avoid these feelings. He doesn't suppress them. Instead, he spends a lot of time in them, yep, expressing them and using those as a way to, I think, get through them by first spending time in them. The second thing Job uses prayer for is to bring a protest to God. The second part of that verse says, let me complain freely. My bitter soul must complain. Job's not going to be silent. Right? He's, not going to, he's going to complain freely. And what you see Job do throughout this book is bring a protest about all the unjust things that he sees going on, how his family, innocent people, have died, how Job himself is in suffering and in poverty. And he's using this as a way to draw everyone's attention, including God's attention, to the horrible things that are happening in this world that he thinks shouldn't be happening. And he's giving voice to that complaint. The last thing Job does is he uses prayer as a way to voice his confusion. It says this in verses 2 to 3. I will say to God, don't simply condemn me. Tell me the charge you're bringing against me. What do you gain by oppressing me? Why do you reject me? The work of your own hands while smiling on the schemes of the wicked. Throughout Job's ordeal, he flips back and forth between stressing his innocence to believing that maybe all of this suffering is a punishment from God. And so he cries out to God, demanding to know the reason for his suffering. He says, tell me the charge you will bring against me. And it's here that we see him express, I think, a deep confusion about what he's seeing. From Job's point of view, innocent people are suffering and the wicked are succeeding. And as the readers, we, we know that none of this bad stuff is coming from God. That's outlined right at the start. It doesn't come from God, but from Job's point of view, it might as well be coming from God because he's allowing it to happen. And so Job cries out to God and he, he says things like, does it please you to oppress me? And so suffering, it does make us ask questions about God's character, about his goodness and his justice. In these verses, they show us that actually it's okay to come to God with everything, including that doubt and that confusion. God wants us to bring our whole selves to him, I think, even when we're not at our best, even when we're confused and hurting, and it's okay to wrestle with those big ideas. You know, but for Job... He's so desperate to hear from God. He says, I cry to you, O God, but you don't answer. I stand before you, but you don't even look. He just wants to talk to God. But of course, God does see. And he answers Job out of a storm. And what God does is probably not what we'd expect. When God speaks, he takes Job on this virtual tour of the universe. He explores all the detail, all the complexity of our world, looking at all the things that we might take for granted or otherwise overlook, and he does it by asking Job all these impossible questions, questions like, where were you when I created the earth? Have you ever gotten to the true bottom of things? Have you explored the labyrinth caves of the deep ocean? Do you know the first thing about death? And through these questions, God shows Job how much detail and complexity there is in the world. He shows Job the changes in the weather, the habits of the animals, amazing landscapes, the stars, things that we might see every day but not actually
actually fully understand, but God does. He knows all of these things intimately. He understands the details. He pays attention to the beauty, the operations of the universe in ways that people might never understand and in places we might never go. All right, so the first thing God gets Job to realise is that he's not capable of running the universe. People are not capable of running the universe. We're human, we're finite. No one person has the, the capacity or the understanding to know everything that's happening all at once. So for that reason, no human can rule the universe or make the kinds of decisions that God does. So Job is forced to admit that he couldn't comprehend this type of complexity, even if he tried. He isn't even capable of running or understanding the universe for just one day. But he does come to acknowledge that God is across it all, understanding and interacting with everything in existence. And when God makes decisions, like allowing pain and suffering to exist, he's doing it from a bigger perspective. He's taking into account a whole universe of complexity. And that's what God calls his wisdom. All right? This is not the answer that Job was expecting. Job isn't presented with this nice, neat explanation for why he's going through pain and suffering. Instead, he's shown that God is across it all. And then he's invited to trust in God's wisdom. And this encounter, it leaves Job in a place of humility. And Job's response to God, his prayers, are captured in Job 42, verses 1 to 6. It says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. So Job responds with praise. He's been reminded of the qualities that God has that he adores God for. He then says, you asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. Job responds with confession. He drew some hasty and simply wrong conclusions about who God is and how he runs and how he runs things. And now he sees that he wasn't in a position to make those kind of statements. He goes on to say this, you said, listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. Job now has this clearer picture of who God is. Job's knowledge of God has increased. And then he says, I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Job responds with repentance. He apologises for all, all the things he said about God that simply weren't true. And what this shows us is that Job never learns why he suffers, but he still finds it possible to live in fear of the Lord. By responding with praise, with confession, with repentance, Job is saying that he trusts God. No matter what comes, good or bad, he's decided to trust in God's wisdom. You know, to, to trust that God actually knows what he's doing. And in that, Job finds contentment. He finds peace. But Job only gets to that place of contentment through prayer. And in that, the book of Job answers the question it posed to us at the start. Is it possible 
to be content in life despite your circumstances? I'd say yes, but only through prayer. That contentment, it ultimately comes from trusting in God's wisdom, from living in fear of the Lord. That's where it comes from. But the point I want to stress to you here is that Job gets to that place through prayer. When Job lost everything and everyone in his life, including his health, he cries out to God in this agonised prayer, in prayers of lament. And at the end of the book, we're told that God approves of this. God says that Job has spoken accurately about him, which is kind of surprising because we know that Job drew those hasty and wrong conclusions about who God is. But what I take from that is that despite those things, God still approves of Job's wrestling. He approves of how Job came honestly before him with all of his pain, with all of his emotion, and just simply wanted to talk to God himself. God says that's the right way to process this kind of pain and emotion through prayer. Because through that prayer, God was also able to speak. Right? Prayer isn't just a one-way street. When we pray, we should be expecting God to speak to us as well. And for Job, when God spoke, Job saw him more clearly. And the more clearly Job saw who God was, the greater his love for him became. And he was able to respond to God by moving from those agonised prayers of lament into a place where he could praise, into a place where he could confess and repent. Right? And through prayer, Job learnt to trust in God's wisdom. He learnt to live with the fear of the Lord, and with that, he gained contentment. And through that experience, Job, I think, is now the kind of person who, no matter what, no matter what comes, good or bad, he can trust in God's wisdom. He's the kind of person that can now face anything in life. And with that, I hope you can see the importance of prayer in your own life. I hope that you can see that it's possible for you to have that same level of contentment, a contentment that isn't dependent on your current circumstances. No matter what life throws at you, whether it's good or bad, whether you're facing issues at work, health issues, whether you're facing the loss of a loved one, no matter what it is, it is still possible for you to be content in life but it requires prayer. So I'd invite you to pray like Job prayed, to be honest with God, to bring all of your pain and emotion to him and use that as a space to help you process those emotions. You know, spend time acknowledging the bad things that have happened. Don't ignore them or bottle them up. Spend time in them and use that as a way to move past them. Bring a protest to God. Tell God about all the things that in this world that exist that should not exist in his good world and lift it up to God. Use it as a place to, to voice your confusion. Ask God those big questions, things that you don't understand, things that don't make sense to you. Bring all of that to God in prayer. And then I'd say, spend some time listening. Ask yourself, how has God spoken to you? What word has God revealed to you? And if you're like me, you might wish that God would just speak to you out of a storm. It'd be so much clearer, it'd be so much more obvious, but I've since come to realise that, that we do have an immeasurably clearer word from God in the person of Jesus. Jesus is described as the word of God, and I think he's described that way because he is the most comprehensive, the most personal and beautiful communication that we have from God. And so I'd say, 
Turn your focus to Jesus. Turn your focus to him and what he has done for you personally and let that show you God's wisdom. Because I truly believe that this is how you can find contentment. I believe that by bringing everything to God in prayer, by listening then to God's revealed word, that you can find contentment. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just come before you this morning and thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God that is across everything. Lord, that you understand the complexity and the detail of this universe in ways that we might never understand. And from that perspective, Lord, we know that what you do is always in our best interest. And Lord, while we're in this place, we, we might not understand all the things that happen to us. We might not understand why they exist. And so in that time, we just lift them up to you, Lord. All the pain, all the suffering, all the things in this world, Lord, that shouldn't exist in your good world, all the things that confuse us, Lord, and cause us to to question who you are, we lay them down at your feet, Lord. All those things that are bringing us pain and hardship, Lord, we lay them down this morning and we declare today that we trust in your wisdom. Whether good or bad, Lord, we, we trust that you know what you're doing, that you're still on your throne, and ultimately that you have our best interests at heart. And we know that, Lord, because we know Jesus. We know, Lord, that that he is your word and immeasurably clearer communication to us than anything people had ever seen before that, Lord. And in that, we see your wisdom. We see, Lord, that you love us, that you make a way for us to be restored into your presence, that you pay the price for us, Lord. And in that, we just come before you with thankful hearts, acknowledging your wisdom. Amen.